One of the great privileges of being a pastor is you get to meet all sorts of people that you wouldn't otherwise know just because of your vocation. It's a great, great thing to encounter all sorts of people from all walks of life because I dress like this on Sunday mornings. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. A strange and odd and wondrous calling it is to be a pastor. In my first church, there were this group of people who lived right next door to the church because there was a retirement home that was right adjacent to the church property. It was so close that we laid a sidewalk in between that property and the church so that the residents could, instead of having to get in their cars and drive around, they could just walk to church on Sunday morning. And there was a, there was a gaggle of them. They would always come in together on Sunday mornings. And because they were there and they were right next door, once a week I would just leave from the church and I would go next door to, to visit some of them. Now, one of the people I would often visit, her name was Polly Vi. Polly Vi was a saint, an absolute saint. I loved Polly Vi. She, she was in church every single Sunday, even though she was older than dirt. I mean, she was there every single week. Polly was also the kind of person that when I would stand up in the pulpit and I would share a, a concern that was in the community, like if someone uh, lost part of their house or, or said they had gone wrong, Polly was always the last person to leave and she would come up to me with a, her checkbook in her hand and she'd say, how much do they need? And she would write an amount down the check and she would give it to me and she'd always say, don't you tell a soul, preacher. I mean, weeks would, she did this so many times. She was always in church. She was always praying. She always cooked food and bring it, and she was always giving money away to people. I mean, Polly was just a remarkable woman. Now, it was a number of years ago, but it was around this time of year that I left from the church, and I walked over to the nursing home because I was going to go visit somebody else. And when I was walking through the, the, the parking lot, I looked up because Polly lived on the third floor. She had a balcony terrace. <laughs> Fancy stuff. And I looked up, and I was, again, I was going to go see someone else, but I saw Polly on her terrace because she had a broom in her hand. The, the leaves had started to fall and she wanted to be immaculate. So she was sweeping the leaves off of her little terrace that she had. And I, I saw her up there and I couldn't help myself. And I just yelled as loud as I could, Polly Vi! And she froze. And she dropped her broom. And she said, yes, Lord. <laughs> And I started laughing so hard and felt so awful about what I had done that I hid in the bushes. <laughs> because I couldn't stand the thought of her seeing me and, and uh, realizing that it was only me that she heard, whereas she thought it was God. So anyway, a couple days later, it's church on Sunday morning, and Polly comes in, and her eyes are wide, and she comes up to me, and she says, Preacher, you are never going to believe what happened to me. And I said, What is it, Polly? She said, I heard God speak to me. And I said... I believe it. <laughs> now, I think the reason that she confused the voice was because she was so hard of hearing. I mean, Polly was so... I, 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 there's a better than a good chance she couldn't hear 50% of what happened on Sunday morning. But that same Sunday, that same Sunday that she told me she heard the voice of the Lord, not five minutes later, she was in the narthex with her gaggle of friends, and I heard her rather loudly say and point at another woman in the church, and she said to her friends, don't you think she's put on a little too much weight recently? And I walked over, I said, Polly, Polly, keep your voice down. She can hear you. And she said, well, maybe she should. <laughs> so I offer this example to you of Polly Vi, a saint. But it's important to remember that every saint is also a sinner.
God provides saintliness to none but sinners, love to none but the unlovable, and grace to none but those who are in disgrace. The great gift of God is that God can make saints out of sinners. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke in the 6th chapter, verses 20 through 31. This is the so-called Sermon on the Plain. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. You will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you in the cheek, give him your other one. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sermons are strange things. Someone spends a week in prayer and pouring over the text, hoping against hope that they will have something to say on Sunday morning. Meanwhile, a congregation gathers in the pews on a Sunday morning, waiting on a word from the Lord. It's a bit odd that God speaks to us in this way through sermons. Most of us, I think, can understand or at the very least appreciate how God speaks to us through something, something like music. Most of us are moved by the music we hear on Sundays. I think we can appreciate God communicating to us through things like baptism and communion. But preaching? C.S. Lewis wrote his famous uh, screw tape letters. He said because he was very bored during a sermon one Sunday. Preaching. The theologian Karl Barth famously said that preachers dare to talk about God. We dare to talk about God. He told his students that preaching must be risky in order to ensure that it has not lost its nerve. He encouraged his students to get out of the way in their sermons so that God could use their sermons to speak. For it's never a sermon until God shows up. Sermons come and sermons go. Some inspire, others bore, some give life, others kill. Preachers must be mindful of the words they use whenever they dare to talk about God, which is made all the more confounding when we jump into the strange new world of the Bible, only to discover a sermon that God dares to preach about God. Jesus has gathered the 12 apostles. Word has spread about his teaching, his healings. He stands on a level place, and he preaches a sermon. And this is what he says. Blessed are those whose lives are an absolute mess. For God does God's best with broken pieces. Blessed are the humiliated, for they have been relieved from the burden of self-righteousness. Blessed are the brokenhearted, for grace comes through the cracks. 
Blessed are those who grieve for what is grief, if not love persevering. Blessed are the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead, for to them the kingdom has been prepared. Blessed are the forgivers, for at the end of the day, someone named Dolly Parton will say, forgiveness is all there is. And blessed are the forgiven, for they have nothing left to hide. But woe to you who think salvation is up to you, that you can earn it through your power and your prestige. You're going to be disappointed. Woe to the fat cats out there. There will come a time when you are empty. Woe to you who think your life's going to go on forever because you're going to die. Therefore, live wild and reckless lives. For in so doing, you will inherit the kingdom of God. Love the unlovable. Forgive the unforgivable. If someone asks them for food, invite them to your house. If someone is in need of clothing, give them the jacket off your back. It was never yours to begin with. Love others the way you would love to be loved. In the name of the Father, myself, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus' sermon on the plane. Now, upon first inspection, it might not seem like Jesus' sermon dares to say anything about God. In fact, it sounds like it only has stuff to do with us. Blessed are you, woe to you, do this, do that, so on and so forth. And yet the blessings, the woes, the do, the don'ts, they're only possible and intelligible because God in the flesh is the one who says these words to us. Today is all saints. It's the blessed occasion to name and to remember the saints here in worship, to give thanks to God for putting them in our lives, to give thanks to God for raising them up into the great cloud of witnesses. And yet in so doing, I fear we often paint the saints as these holy and perfect people. But the saints of God's church were and are anything but perfect. Just take a cursory glance at the New Testament. We love to elevate these figures from the Gospels, but it's important for us to remember that even figures like Peter and Paul were perjurers and murderers. Even if you take a step outside the Gospel, if you want to look at the early church, we talk about the saints in the early church. The best example of this is perhaps St. Nicholas. Do you know the story of St. Nicholas? St. Nicholas, who famously brought gifts to children in the middle of the night. We know that story of St. Nicholas, but there's an even better story about St. Nicholas. Come with me on a journey of church history. The year is 325. It's the Council of Nicaea. The early church is trying to figure out what it means to be the church. All these theologians, these priests, they gather together to talk about who exactly God is, who exactly Jesus is, who exactly the Holy Spirit is. And there's a Christian. His name is Arius. And he says, Jesus is not God. Jesus is just God in a bod. And St. Nicholas is there. And he says, that's heresy. You can't say that Jesus is not God. They are one and the same or else this whole thing falls apart. Now, if that's all that happened, it's not worth even telling you in a sermon, but that's not all that happened because St. Nicholas, reportedly, got up from his spot on the council of Nicaea, walked across the floor, and he punched Arius in the face. St. Nicholas. The saints, contrary to how we like to imagine them or hide them away in museum-like churches, they are far more complicated and therefore far more faithful than we give them credit for. Oscar Wilde said, The only difference between saints and sinners is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Sermons, strange and daring as they are, they give us the language to express the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. For we Christians are a threatening bunch to the order of things. We are very different. Listen to what Jesus said. Love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Turn the other cheek. 
Those proclamations run against everything we're taught our whole lives. And yet Jesus proclaims this strange and even bizarre sermon, not because these things work. Loving your enemies doesn't make them disappear. Just as turning the other cheek doesn't stop us from getting hit. In fact, it usually just guarantees it. The saints exist because there's a community called church that nurtures people and shapes them who, while often unfaithful, they can learn the story of God through Jesus' preaching. Jesus preaches this sermon not because it works, but because it tells us who God is. God makes all things new. God changes everything. In the book of Acts, the first followers of Jesus were labeled by those outside the church as world turners. They kept saying, all these, these people, they keep trying to turn the world upside down, which makes sense. The last will be first, the first will be last. Resurrection out of death, all that sort of stuff. But by the second century, those outside the church labeled those inside the church as a burial society. Now, of course, we're more than a burial society, but we are also absolutely a burial society. Christians are those who gather when someone dies to mourn them, but to give thanks to God for them. We do so with hope because we know that death is not the end. All of us experience death prior to our deaths because we're baptized. In baptism, we are buried with Christ that we might rise with Christ. How strange it is to be a Christian. And week after week, we pull out this very old book and we find that it is alive. It speaks into our existence here and now. We baptize the young and the old alike, knowing that it incorporates us into something we might not have discovered on our own. We gather at the table. We are made participants in the communion of the saints. We hold fast to the truth of the gospel that only God can tell us who we are. I have a memory of being a child in church and walking forward on a communion Sunday with my hands outstretched like I had done countless times before. I was walking down the center aisle and there was a, an older man sitting in front of me and I'd never seen him before. But here he was in front of me and he was going forward with his hands outstretched and I could tell that he was crying. I could hear it and I could see it. And when he got up to the table, our pastor looked at, it, looked at him and he said, why are you crying? And he said, I've been a bad man. And our preacher said, so have we all. Take heart. You are forgiven. Only God can tell us who we are. God does not make anyone a saint who is not first a sinner, nor does God provide love to any but the wretched. God has mercy on none but the bad and gives grace only to those who are in disgrace. Now that's why we can do the weird and strange things we do in a church, whether it's preaching or baptizing communing, whether we're crying or we're laughing, we can even dare to happily remember the saints, not as a denial of their deaths, but as a recognition that death is not the end. Jesus, he does not say, bring to me your perfect lives and your perfect jobs and your perfect families. Instead, he says, bring to me your burdens and I will give you rest. Jesus does not look at all of our choices and our actions in order to weigh out whether we're good enough to make it through the pearly gates. Instead, Jesus says, I have come to save sinners and only sinners. Jesus does not write us off for our faults and our failures. Instead, he says, you are mine and I am thine. We got a phone call at the church a couple weeks ago from a family whose mother is in a nursing home here in the community. She was a longtime member of the church, but hasn't been here in a long time. And this family member called and said, mother's not doing well. 
but she loves music, and I think if someone from the church were to bring her a hymnal, it might cheer her up. She loves to play the piano. Maybe if someone brings her a, a hymnal, it will boost her spirits and kind of bring her out of this moment that she's in. And so the preacher brought her a hymnal. Thanks to Deborah finding us a clean hymnal that you all hadn't smudged up too much from singing on Sundays. I got in my car and I drove over and I went to the nursing home. And if you've ever been to a nursing home before, you know you can't trust the room numbers because people are never in the rooms they're supposed to be in. So I started walking around and she wasn't in her room and I started asking residents who were just in the hallway, have you seen her, have you seen her? I finally found her. She was singing in a wheelchair in the middle of a hallway. I knelt down on the floor right next to her and I said, ma'am, you have no idea who I am. But my name's Taylor, and I'm the pastor of Raleigh Court United Methodist Church, and someone told me that you might like to have a hymnal. She beamed. We talked about the church, shared memories of the past. We laughed together. She cried a little bit, and we prayed. And when I got up and said goodbye and walked away, I heard her say very quietly, they remember me. They remember me. On All Saints, we remember. Now the all in All Saints is instructive. We're not just remembering some of the saints, we remember all of the saints. It's the recognition that we don't even know all the names of those who have lived and died who make it possible for us to do what we're about to do. Gather at the table. If sermons are strange, communion is even stranger. Because when we gather at the table, we're not just communing with God. We're not even just communing with the people in the pews next to us. We believe that at this table, it stretches across time. That we feast with the saints who came before us, the saints who are in our midst. And we're feasting with those who have not even yet arrived. Those who will be here long after we're gone. We can bring everything we feel to God's table. Whether we're happy or sad whether we're glad or mad, we can bring it all. We can bring all of our feelings because Jesus says heaven belongs to those who cry, those who grieve, those who ache, those who wish it wasn't so, those who know not all is as it should be. In short, heaven belongs to the saints and to people like us, which is why we can happily remember them as God remembers us. And so I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.